winning that game 10-7 in Missoula in the snowy blizzard and and seeing the reaction from Bobcat Nation at the time I was like wow that was that was pretty cool and it got even more special in hindsight it's pretty unique and I would put it up there and obviously you've got your your Iron Bowl you got your you know Ohio State Michigan you got your you know all those you know big rivalry games but uh, Cat Grizz I mean it's it's, it's it's not top 10 it's top 15. everybody to the R&R CatCast, a fan-based podcast focusing on Montana State Athletics. We're two dudes named Ryan from the state of Washington talking about our dear Montana State. We hope you enjoy. Welcome back, Bobcat fans. Cats disrupt senior night at Cal Davis, punch their playoff tickets in route, and now prepare for... Cat Grizz, Cat Grizz. Man, it feels good, Thorny. It is finally here. It's here. We're coming off a huge win. Our playoff ticket is punched. It just doesn't get any better than this. Three weeks ago, we were pretty dire. You and I were talking about the how it just felt, you know, just kind of doom and gloom. And now, three weeks into November, we're feeling on top of the world. It feels good to be a Bobcat fan right now. Feels great. I can't. I just, I'm so excited. And, I want to mention something here. It's kind of funny. Uh, you, the the Grizz basketball team just lost to Montana Tech. Just throwing that out there right in the beginning here while we're talking about things that are good. <laughs> it's an auspicious way to start the Cat Grizz week. Yep, yep. Uh, let's hope there's another upset brewing here. All right, let's get a little to show outline. First, we're going to lead off with our beers. We're going to go into the news. We're going to do a little game recap. We're going to... Do a little game preview, and then we have a uh, special segment for for our listeners this week. We have two former players, Travis Lule and Corey Nickel, will give their thoughts on what Cat Grizz meant to them. Uh, we'll come out of that, and we're going to do our little fun segments. We'll have some golden koozie questions, some buy or sell, and some bold predictions. Sounds good. I'm psyched. I'm so excited right now. I'm just keeping it contained. <laughs> it's bubbling over. <laughs> All right, Thorny, what's on tap for tonight? All right, so I do want to mention that you you mentioned the dire episode that we had. You know what snapped us out of that funk? Me bucking up and drinking a beer called the Golden Grit, even though it was an IPA, and it really just took us out of our funk. And we've been undefeated since then. Ever since I decided to start picking beers based on the meaning of the label and how it pertains to the team instead of beers I might actually like to drink. <laughs> so... <laughs> In that spirit, sports is nothing but superstitious. I got an IPA called Trophy Life because after Saturday, the cats are still going to be all about that Great Divide Trophy Life. It's an IPA. It is, yep, from Silver City Brewery, which is in Bremerton. Um, it's, it's not too bad. It's an IPA. I actually like it. Maybe I actually like IPAs better than I thought I did. Well, you're coming around on the IPAs. I applaud you there. Yeah, yep. That's... Uh, yeah, I'm just doing what I need to do to help the team win, really. Well, I'm glad you're taking one for the team, Thorny. That's really commendable. 
I have one of my favorite beers and I saved this beer for celebration type of things that in my life. And I've talked about this one before. It's the Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Uh, I love it in the can more so than I do in the bottle. And uh, that's what I'm drinking tonight. It's a standard for me. You'll you'll find it everywhere. But it's such a good pale ale. It's almost like how Moostrol is to just brown ales. Uh, Sierra Nevada is to pale ales. So there we go. I saw when I was chick- uh, picking out my beer tonight that they have a like a celebration beer. Is that what it was called? Yep. They make one every uh, winter. I was looking at that kind of beer, but I was like, no, celebration implies we're being cocky. We're not celebrating anything yet. There's work to be done. So I stay away from any beers with <laughs> talking about celebrations. That's a good point. Well, we there's some stuff to celebrate, but we're going to talk about that a little later. Yeah, of course. All right, Thorny. Uh, let's move into the news for the week. Uh, the Cats move up from number 10 in the FCS stats poll to number eight. What do you think about that? Hell yeah, we're the eighth ranked team in the country. You said it last week. Just buy it. Let's stop debating it. We're number eight. We're playing like it. We deserve it. We're number eight. All right. Let's move on from stats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really have nothing else to say about that. That's good. What do you think of Jeff Choate's presser today? It was pretty interesting. As a lot of it was what you to- totally expect from the press conference. Uh, one thing I did like that he said, said was, I don't know if it was a jab or if it's just true Jeff Choate talking. Uh, like honest, like he normally does. But somebody asked him about Jerry Louis McGee and how dangerous he is in the kick game, punt return game. And Cho just comes back, well, everyone's got a kick returner. <laughs> Basically saying like he's not going to prep any differently. Like everyone's got one. It's not going to change it. You might be like, you have to execute at a higher level, but he's not going to change anything for it. He went on to compliment him. So I don't think it was any sort of jab or anything, but it just kind of made me chuckle. Yeah, he seemed really relaxed. You know, he wasn't hyped at all. He just, you know, matter of fact kind of mood. I just, uh, you know, he's been there before. So that's what I kind of took from it. Uh, one thing, one quote he said was, uh, this is a forever game. And Choke knows the importance of the uh, the Cat Grizz. And it's something that's not missed by him, but he doesn't seem like he's overwhelmed by it. I was totally saving that quote for later on in the segment, but that is a really good quote. Uh, he said, it's foolish to pretend it isn't a big deal. These guys are going to have an answer for this for the rest, or I'm sorry, these guys are going to have to answer for this for the rest of their lives. It's a forever game, but you can't make more out of it in terms of the performance anxiety curve. We've got to kind of stay in the moment. It's true. It's absolutely true. I liked it. I liked that. Uh, it's just such a stark contrast. It's kind of what I wanted to talk a little bit about of uh, how Rob Ash approached the game. I think Ash took a lot of heat for just calling it just another game. Jeff Choate does not view this as just another game. No, I mean, there's no way you can view this just as another game. So uh, I remember when we hired Jeff Choate, uh, that was a big concern for some people was, <laughs> how are you going to view the Cat Grizz? I mean, we were just on the heels of losing the Cat Grizz with uh, Rob Ash. And so that was fresh on people's mind. And that was one of the things he talked about. He talked about the importance of rivalry games. Well, basically, the last two coaches that coached at the two big Montana schools pretty much both got fired because they could not win Cat Grizz games, respectively. So, yeah, yeah, kind of a big game. (laughs) Good point. No extra pressure, but you lose two in a row, probably fired. Do you think so? No. Well, at least not in Bozeman. Maybe, although if if Hauk loses this game, they're still going to be hoisting him up on a a pedestal. So Hauk's in no danger of losing his job, losing to the Cats. How long do you think Hauk's going to coach out uh, Montana? Honestly, I could see him staying there until he retires. Well, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't question that. I, that was a foregone conclusion in my mind. 
How many more years do you think he's going to coach? I don't know. How old is Hauk? I don't even know how he's old he is. He's got to be no it's like, like 50s. Like early early 50s. I don't know. He's probably going to coach until he's like 66, 67. That's a good point. All right. And like you uh, lamented a few weeks ago, it's just going to be the next Hauk coaching after that. <laughs> <laughs> it's nepotism is going to happen. Your nightmare, I believe, is what you called it. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Hey, man, it is Cat Grizz week. We got a ton to talk about, but first we got to recap the awesome win that was against Cal Davis last week that secured our playoff berth, something I'm super excited about. How Let's get into those stats right now. All right, so the Bobcats come back from Davis after beating the UC Davis Aggies 27-17 to on the heels of a pretty darn good performance by Tucker Rovig, who went 17 for 25 for 217 yards. A reemergence, a return, maybe perhaps better, of Isaiah and Fonze, who rushed 10 times for 77 yards and a touchdown, and honestly could have had another one. Uh, Travis Johnson came back as well. Six carries for 93 yards and a touchdown. Also had three catches for 61 yards with a long of 47, so it was good to see him back looking fast and healthy. It was just a good performance by a lot of guys that had been out for a while, but uh, final stats ended up pretty pretty close in a lot of ways. Uh, first downs for the Bobcats, 19, 21 for the Aggies, 430 yards for the Aggies, 501 for the Bobcats. But we'll get into how the Aggies got to that number because most of it was in the first half. Pretty even otherwise. Uh, time of possession, pretty heavily favored for the Bobcats. But again, a lot of that was because of a dominant second half performance by the Bobcats. The stats that we'll get into here in a little bit. But uh, yep, it was a good performance and a lot of, it was a good performance by a lot of key Bobcats. That was really good to see. We had 284 rushing yards. They only had 157. That was going to be a big thing for us this week because Yulonzo Gilliam was just coming off a lights out game where he had over 200 yards himself last week. So that's pretty impressive. Yep, it's true. Uh, he did have, let's see, they had 102 rushing yards by halftime. So they were, you know, kind of moving the ball at will a lot in that first half. They had 333 yards of total offense for 7.24 yards of play in the first half with 15 minutes, almost 16 minutes of time of possession. The second half, they were held to just 97 yards, 55 on the ground, 42 through the air for 3.59 yards per play and just a time of possession of 8 minutes and 30 seconds. That was a dominant second half by the Bobcats, by the Bobcat defense in particular. You know, we hold Jake Meyer to his second lowest QB rating at 107.9 this entire season. And that's against games, and that's including games against North Dakota State and the Grizzlies. So that's super impressive. And then another stat that just jumped out was he did not throw a touchdown at home on senior night. That's just ridiculous. And so Jake Meyer definitely had a day, I mean, that he doesn't want to remember anytime soon. Uh, he, a couple drops when he watched that game, you know, kind of aided the Bobcats. Some of the some of those drives, that the receivers just, you know, just couldn't hold on to the ball. Uh, but, man, yeah, Jake Meyer, not his normal self. With He was 33 out of 50 for 273 yards. It's not a big day for him. When you kind of think back to it, a lot of the teams that have played the Bobcats tend to have some drops and you kind of go like, whew, that was like, if not for those drops. At some point, though, you got to give the Bobcat defense credit. They're 
either in their heads, they're flushing the quarterback, and the timing's a little bit off. There's something that the Bobcats are doing to disrupt some plays just enough that the guys aren't catching the balls in the way that they normally would. I mean, that's, this happened several games throughout the year where the Cats seem to be aided by some timely drops by the opponent, but at some point you got to realize it's a habit or a pattern and you can recognize the defense might be being a big part of that. I hadn't thought about that, Ryan. There's probably a pretty good point. Just to reiterate how dominant the defense was, the fourth quarter, Davis had zero first downs, 23 total yards, and had the ball for less than three minutes. <laughs> Man. That's just dominant. Yeah, so when I was watching the game, it felt like the like in the fourth quarter, like like we could smell the blood in the water. And then all of a sudden, like when that happened, the Bobcats just turned to a switch and they just became this like you like this dominant team. Now it's hard to dominate someone on the road, especially on a senior night, especially when Cal Davis is playing for an outside chance of making the playoffs. So all that against the Cats, you know, we were hanging tough. But it was like the fourth quarter, we just flipped the switch and just like put them away. Which begs the question, why can't we flip that switch a little sooner? Bobcats are so just inconsistent throughout an entire football game. At least this game, throughout the game, they never had any sort of just collapse moment. I've talked about how there's always one game seems to be this series of events that just leads to points for the other team. It didn't really seem to happen. Like we we took some shots from the Aggies. We They moved up and down the field in the first half, but we held in the... They were like, what, one for three in the red, the red zone trips? They went for on fourth down. Meyer like overthrew his wide open like tight end. And they had a field goal opportunity and then it blocked a field goal, I think. So, you know, three red zone opportunities for the Aggies and just three points out of it in, the, in that first half. That's pretty impressive. Oh, no doubt. It just seems to me like, why can't we be that dominant team uh, all game? And that's something that really concerns me. Like you said, uh, we're really inconsistent. You know, I think if the the Cats really want to be a championship level team, you just got to bring the intensity all along. Well, we talked about after the Northern Colorado game that we thought was one of the most complete games the Bobcats have played. I and mean, this isn't too far off of that for this year. Like there was, you know, we had a lull in third quarter, but our defense played really well in the third quarter. They gave up the touchdown, but then we scored 13 straight points to salt the game and the defense clamped down and didn't let them do anything. So the first half, debatable how good it was, but it, we were still, you know, winning 14 to 10 at halftime. So it was a pretty good performance for the entire four quarters of football but the Bobcats certainly have a higher ceiling. And I totally agree with you. Like we need to be able to just play at that level, the entire game that we played with in the fourth quarter and maybe the half, the second half of the third quarter. Like we have the ability to do that. We just can't seem to be the dominant team, the entire game that we are capable of being. Well, I think that has a little bit to do with our offense. We don't have a prolific offense. We have a prolific defense, but it comes to those body blows in the run game in the fourth quarter. They just stack up. And, you know, it just wears the teams out. So that might have something to do with it. I was worried about that. We weren't having hardly any success running the ball against UC Davis there for a while. And we seemed to be getting most of our success the air. And I was getting worried that like, hey, we're not really landing any body shots. If we're, I got to just remind myself that those, yeah, one yard run turns into a five yard run if we just keep, keep going to it. You know, it goes back to what I said last week when I said we need to use the pass game to open up the running game. And I thought that did happen. And that was, that was clear in the fourth quarter. So uh, Tucker Ovik probably had his best game at being a Bobcat. No, he was, he was aggressive. 
Yeah. Uh, he's taking shots down the field and you, he hit his slants better than I've seen him do. He had a comeback route to Kevin Cassis on third and long. I'm really starting to like Rovig back there. I always liked Rovig, but he's making some steps. And the thing I think he could really improve upon a little bit is just kind of moving his eyes. Sometimes he just locks in on his deep balls. You know what I mean? And so he could just, you know, maybe move a safety with his eyes or come back to another receiver during that progression. I think that's uh, his next step. Agreed. But uh, in this particular case, like Davis was clearly leaving some guys one-on-one and saying, beat us. And, you know, you can stare down a guy when there's no safety within 30 yards of him, which is what happened on the two Cassis bombs. There was really no one around him. So, but I agree with you. Like he's going to have to play smarter than that, but I think teams, the way they play the Bobcats, there's going to be one-on-one matchups pretty much every game. Tucker's just so tough. I love that kid. I just love his toughness. I love his toughness. He's just steadily improving. Like you said, best game as a Bobcat. I think, I don't know what the ceiling is for him at this point still this year, but you know, this is big man month for Tucker Rovig too. Like, all right, this is it, man. This is no more working Tucker Rovig in. This is like, this is it. This is the playoffs. I mean, we punched our playoff ticket. Cat Grizz game isn't a playoff game anymore, but you know, this is the time to step up and you want to make a run in the playoffs. It starts right now. And that's everyone top down. needs to have that mindset, including Tucker Rovig. It's time to, it's time to get there. Yeah, he does well in the run game too. Better than I thought he would be. So speaking of run game, let's talk a little bit about Infonse. It's just, it's a different, it just, it's a different dude. Like There's just no other way to really say it. He's in the game. He's just different than any other running back on the team and any other running back in the conference. He just gets in there, just plows in the line. You think he stood up and classic Infonse, he's tackled in the pile three yards downfield later. It's crazy. <laughs> it's the toughest, toughest runner I think I've ever seen, at least in the Big Sky Conference. It doesn't feel like he like hits the hole hard though. Like he just seems like a very patient runner to me. He's got this just great combination of vision, patience, power, and toughness. And no, maybe he could hit some of the holes harder, but he hits them hard enough that he never gets tackled going backwards. Yeah, he's it's like you said. He's just he's just different. <laughs> I mean. We might be a little bit lulled by the fact that we have three running backs that are very similar. Shane Perry, Lane Sumner, and Logan Jones. And then Fonse just brings just a different speed, a different style to him. And just see, I think he just has better vision than those two guys, or those three guys. The guy who probably hits the hole the hardest is probably Logan Jones. He runs really hard. He hits the hole fast. And once he puts his foot in the ground, he's kind of, you know, he's got that burst to really blow by any arm tackles or before like anybody being blocked before they even know that he's by them. So it's it's just important to have a full stable of those guys because they all complement each other. None of them are really the same, even though maybe like Sumner and Jones might be fairly similar, but they're all different in their own ways. And it's important to have them all healthy as we move into the, the stretch here. That's something that I was thinking about is just our health as a team. It's cool to see some of the guys getting healthy like late in the season, like Travis Johnson. Uh, and Fonse, it goes back to kind of the dialogue we've had about playing guys or playing a stable of guys. You know what? At the end of the season, it's starting to feel good that we have some options that, you know, we have uh, some guys who have some legitimate playing time, not just some, you know, some, some guy that we've just been relying on who's been taking the majority of the snaps. I mean, there's another contrast from the Jeff Choate era to the Rob Ash era. Ash got a lot of heat for basically 
playing his guys until they pretty much fell apart, which I guess you could argue they're doing a little bit with Troy Anderson right now. But, you know, it's good to see just the rotation keeping guys fresh. And that allows when there is an injury, because there's always going to be injuries, the guy who is behind him steps up and he's got some experience right off the bat. I mean, just look at the secondary. Munchie went down, came back a little bit, and he's pretty much, I don't think he's coming back this season. So then you got guys like, uh, I think it's Ty Ty Ray Gibson. I I can't remember which Gibson's really playing a lot, but I think they're both kind of playing a little bit. And you see a lot of Dominic Brown. Like those guys are starting to really become pretty solid cornerbacks because they've been playing for a few weeks now. And that's just a good example of those guys have had kind of on and off reps all year. And here they are playing probably their best football of the year here heading into Cat Chris. Yeah, this is just a huge thing. Jeff Choate said he was going to be playing his best football come November. You know what? We are. It's We're peaking at the right time. That's, that's a good feeling. It doesn't hurt that for the health of the team that we played two teams before this that we could have beat pretty much any one of our running backs or wide receivers or and some of the lesser, not lesser, but like the guys further down the death chart on defense as well. <laughs> kind of a the schedule kind of aligned to help us get healthy coming into this. Yeah, we needed those games though. We were pretty low after North Dakota. That was a, the, those were timely games. And, you know, I just, this game at Davis, I was just so happy on Saturday after he came back, um, or, or after we won that, that contest, it was just felt so good to see the catch. Just, just have a good, just good win on the road. You know, Davis had everything to play for in multiple facets and we just, we grounded out and then we just closed it. You know, that's just such a classic Bobcat victory right there. And the Bobcats, what took a knee on the two yard line with a, almost a minute left in the game. I believe it was, no, was more, some, that was like a minute 40 or minute 14 or something like that. Yeah. yeah, I was, I was thinking it was a minute 40 in my head, but I was like, that couldn't be right. But now that you've said it, it must be true. But yeah, could have easily, excuse me, easily scored another touchdown there if we wanted to, but, you know, I think Jeff Chote realized the team was beaten and why why risk doing any stupid plays to get any more any more people hurt? We've, we're winning by 10. Call it good. It's not going to make any difference for any reason whatsoever. Playoff committee is not going to care. I think it was, it was a classy move by Jeff Chote to take a knee and get out of there with the win. Couldn't help but think during that moment, uh, I'm not going to lie, Thorny, I thought if this was the Grizz, punch it in. <laughs> well, yeah. No tip of the cap there. As you would say, step on their throats. <laughs> uh, Thorny, do you have any parting thoughts on Cal Davis? The last thing I had on my notes here, I kind of want to talk about, and it's kind of a not just a Cal Davis thing. It's been the last few weeks. Our, the first half of the year, we were had some really bad snaps, and it seems like our snapping problem, or our shotgun snaps have gotten a lot better. Have you noticed that? It doesn't like ring a bell in my head, so no, I haven't noticed it. Well, I guess that's that's a good thing because it was a problem there. It was, I think it was even the North Dakota game. There was just some really bad snaps that, uh, I don't know. I haven't, I'm not savvy enough and I don't watch closely enough to know who's at like offensive line every time. I don't know if, uh, I know Zach red was listed at the starting spot. Was he, I think he was injured for a little bit. So I'm not sure what's going on there. I've also noticed perhaps because of this, that it seems like Tucker Rovick is taking a lot more snaps under center. Yeah. He has a little bit of problem taking that snap under center too. It feels like he, he more than once he's fumbled the ball and recovered it himself in that scenario. Fumble it, recover yourself. He passed one to himself earlier. Man, he's he's he knows what he's doing. <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah, 
Good job, Tucker. <laughs> I like so. to see us go under center more. It's, it's been a just a good thing for me to see. It helps, like, I think it's really helped attack the edges because that's where we send the guy across in motion behind him and he can hand it off. That so reminiscent of the 2006 season. I remember that was like, like Don Bailey and Mike Kramer's fell in love with that end around fake thing that they ran like 30 times a game. Do you remember that? Michael Jefferson. Yeah, Michael Jefferson, like Jack Rolovich. It's like we ran it all the time into the ground. Anyway, tangent. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get back into the Don Bailey discussion ever. You know what? Um, my parting thoughts on the game is Matt Miller still on the sidelines. He's calling some better games. I, I felt like we we played to win this game. And that was one of my concerns well, last week that Jeff Cho would hold Matt Miller in, so to say. I don't feel like that happened. I felt like we played to win the game on both sides of the ball. The only kind of gripe I have is like, I really don't like our passes to the flats. Tuck Rovig just doesn't get the ball to the flat very fast or in the right spot. We just we never seem to make any gains on that. There's always like a two yard loss if we're passing. I guess you could look at it from a, a mental standpoint. Like, okay, that's a zero yard completion, but it was a completion and, you know, Tucker Rovig could be built upon that that he threw a completed pass like he just seems to be a guy who needs to get any completion even if it's for zero yard negative one yard gain maybe just a just a thought yeah the only egregious error i saw tuckerovic make was on a screen pass he just threw it right to he threw it right to the defensive lineman and the defensive lineman just like bobbled the ball and went to the ground had the defensive lineman like caught that tuckerovic was the only guy that was going to Save that from being another pick six. <laughs> I forgot just, about that play. Oh, it was like, woof. Well, we're, we were pretty lucky on that one. If he just floats it over the top, hits Lane Sumner on the back end, and Sumner has some green, but it wasn't even close. I mean, it was it was just like, it was almost like he thought Sumner or that defensive lineman was the receiver. It was just really weird. Rovick has this kind of like a almost little sidearm flip pass he kind of does he's he's done that word has been a blitz off the corner and instead of like sidestepping them he'll like throw it around him have you seen that yeah <laughs> so, I have. that that camera angle was impossible to tell but he maybe he just tried to like sling it like instead of up and over like this six five because they look they look like a big dude i remember i don't know if he just tried to like sling it sideways like by him try to sneak sneak it between two guys and just threw it right into his stomach i don't know what happened there but yeah, got, got lucky on that one. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it was set up really well. Like every single lineman bit on it. Summer was just standing there all by himself. And uh, yeah. Whew. All right, man. I'm ready to move on. Such a big, important win because it builds momentum heading in to Cat Chris. But you know what feels way better is knowing that we have our playoff ticket punched. And that just takes a load off my shoulders. I'm telling you, Thorny, right now that. Going into this game, I feel so much better not having to worry about, hey, are we going to make the playoffs? I feel like I might be able to enjoy this game just a little bit more. When's the last time that happened? The last time we made the playoffs before Jeff Choate was here was 2014. 11. No, it was 2014. Prukop, we lost to South Dakota State. That's true. But did we need the Cat Grizz to... I think we lost that Cat Grizz game. Yes, you're right. That would have been the last time that we didn't need to beat the Grizz to get in the playoffs, but yeah, like last year we needed to. And then, yeah, before that was probably 2011 where we were 
uh, number one team. We got beat by some sort of phantom team that can't find in the record books. I don't know who beat us, but um, we lost it somehow. <laughs> yeah, that was that was one of the. I don't even want to talk about that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yep, we're not we're not going there. Okay, let's. What do you want to talk about, man? This is going to be a longer episode. We're just getting into the meat. Where do you want to start? Let's talk about some matchups. Where's MSU at in U of M, you know, when we're just looking at just total offense, total defense, stuff like that, passing, rushing. How about we run some stats, kind of talk about some matchups there. All right. I don't have all the stats for some of the things you named. Um, I don't know if you do. Yeah. So I'll start out. So Montana is, uh, so in, in just the scope of the big sky, Montana is number two in the offense, total offense right now. Montana State is number six in total offense. Quick, quick question. Are you looking at total stats or conference-only stats? I'm curious. Uh, conference-only. Okay. I, I, I looked at uh, overall stats, but regardless, they're going to paint a similar picture. So let's just give uh, – let's, let's try this, Tony. Let's give our take on, like, who has the upper hand when it comes to what we're just about to talk about. Okay. So when it comes to just basic offense, who has the upper hand? Grizz. Why? Because they're more dynamic. Are they? Yep. They're more balanced. Oh, they're more balanced, I guess, is a better word than dynamic there. I mean, they score more points against, honestly, some tougher competition. And they, they've only been held below like 30 points like once all year by FCS competition. And yeah, they can do a lot more things with the ball. So I would say that right now, the Grizz have a better offense. I'm not saying we have a bad offense, but uh, I'd say the Grizz. Well, I would argue that they're more balanced. Um I think they rely more on their passing game than they do their running game for sure. And I feel like Montana state does a good job of balancing. We're always around that 200 mark on passing and we're always about that 200 mark on rushing too. So yeah, I mean, I'm going to give the nod to U of M on their, on their offense. They just have too many weapons on the outside. Sammy Akim, um, Samara Torrey, Jerry Lou McGee, Feel like that guy's been around forever. Dalton Sneed, fifth-year quarterback again, yet so. again. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm going to give when it comes to the offense, I'm going to give them the nod. An interesting right. stat about the Grizz off offense is, yeah, they're only seventh in rushing offense, but they've scored the second most rushing rushing touchdowns in the conference. They've scored 28, which is only behind the Bobcats, who scored 33. So they don't Who's have a, one a in lot the of rushing y- offense. Well, that would be the Bobcats. You bet about. I don't care if you're on the triple option. You can't rush for as many yards as this crazy, weird, wildcat hybrid offense can. <laughs> and you know what's impressive about that is exactly what Jeff Choate uh, talked about in his presser last week. Is the fact that we are doing that with multiple different players. Multiple different players. That's just awesome. It's awesome. It's weird. I still like, I, I'm leaning towards it's a good thing, but it's just one of those like, no one else does this. Is this just weird or innovative or stupid? <laughs> but it's been kind of by uh, a lot of the running back, at least has been by design. We just had some injuries to Logan Jones and Isaiah Fonze and Troy Anderson. So we've had to go all the way down to like fifth string Shane Perry. You've, you've had to do it. Well, you know, at mid mid season, I would say it was kind of like, like how you feel like, Oh man, this is not the, this is not the most ideal situation. But now, late November, all these guys have critical playing time and experience in success. That's that's huge. Like we got dudes who know what it takes, and multiple dudes who knows what it takes. 
I like that. All right. So we both agreed the Grizz offense has a slight advantage over the Bobcat offense. Okay. Let's talk about defense. MSU right now in the big sky is ranked number third in total defense. UVM is right on their heels, number four. Well, I would say that I think the Bobcats have the better defense overall, but this is a very close toss-up. I think the Cats can play more of a shutdown approach, and they're just better rounded in all phases, but the Grizz probably have the better playmakers and quite possibly the better just like design, like the just the way they run it. I was listening to Coulter Nuanez on... Um, his show, the ESPN show, and he's talking about how the Grizz have like the worst passing defense, but it's kind of by design because they're geared so much to start stop the run that they kind of leave a guy on an island all the time. And I was like kind of talking about earlier, that's how teams kind of approach the Bobcats because they just need to kind of stack the box. But they're going to have you know a little bit more a worse passing defense because of that. But overall, they've been they've been shut down at times. The Bobcats have just been so dynamic lately with Troy Anderson really coming on. I think Braden Conkle had. It was really good to say, see him kind of play to what I think a lot of people were expecting him against UC Davis. He kind of just turned it up a notch, had an interception, was flying over the field, was laying dudes out. I think that the Bobcats have the ability to be better t- of the two defenses. Slightly. It's I close. Like, like uh, the Grizz defense yeah. is, is stout. Like I, this, is not, like this is not something I'd try and say as a homer, but you know, the Grizz have a really good defense. I just think the Bobcats have a slightly better defense. Just a they don't have any holes like the Grizz do passing defense. Yeah, and the Grizz bring more pressure. So Jeff Cho mentioned this in his pressure that they bring pressure about 70% of the time. That's, yeah, that's not Montana State. So when you're just like eyeballing it, if you don't know anything about defense, it might seem like UM's defense is more sexy because they're just they're going to bring more pressure. Oh Yeah, but they do have those holes on the outside. You know, just a quick breakdown. I think Montana State's line, the defensive line, is greater than U of M's. I think we have better corners than U of M. Uh, I think the Grizz have better linebackers. Better, uh, ooh, not better safeties, but better linebackers. But they use their linebackers different than we use our linebackers. They're going to blitz their linebackers a little bit more. They're going to use them more in the run support and sometimes in coverage as well. I mean, Dante Olsen is just a wrecking machine. That guy is just one of the most intimidating physical people I've ever seen. Robbie Houck, even though, I mean, I just, I don't really have anything good to say about that. The Houck's like, he's just a legit good ball hawking kind of dude. You know, he's a missile. He's just a missile out there. (laughs) And uh, and one thing that like, I'm really impressed with the Grizz is, and it's something that I wish Jeff Cho would emphasize a little bit more. It's just effort. Like I think he does, but like, I think that's what Bobby Houck's teams are so good. They just fly to the ball. Like he demands, uh, this kind of, you know, tenacious attitude that everybody's just going to go as hard as they can. And I would say he does it a little bit better than Jeff Choke. Yeah, I think Jeff Choke teams play a little bit more even. They keep it level-headed, and that's kind of, they stick to their plans a little bit better. I feel like if things go wrong for the Bobcats, they're just fine. They're going to keep grinding. But you have a team that plays with so much fire and passion like the Grizz defense do. When things start to snowball, they can really snowball because they they don't know how to handle being punched like that. So it, it's a pros and cons to both, but I would agree that right now I think that the, the Grizz are just playing with a real good passion and fire, and like you said, they're just playing hard, and it's really showing, and that's really why they're arguably right on pace with the Bobcats' defensive unit, in my opinion. It's a good point. All right, Thorny, and the next thing I have is 
UVM is number one in the conference in third down conversions, and MSU is dead last. We've had some good games on and off, but overall, we are dead last in it. I don't even think it's really that close. We're like 30, what, 33% on third down conversion, while the conversely, the Grizz are first in third down percentage offense. So quite the stark contrast there. Not even close, not even the contest. Well, they are first, but it's only like 46%. So the comparison of 46 to 33%, not that much difference, but you know, <laughs> it's huge. It's 13 team difference. Well, it is, but I don't know. I mean, we could argue that, but yeah, uh, that's been a sticky point for us all year long is our third down conversions. It, and not even all year long, going back two years, right? Underneath the Troy Anderson offense. So we're getting better. But if you look back, even on this week, we were four, four for 13 on third down. Davis was two for 14. So, I mean, we, but four for 13, that's, that's, that's never good. And we need to be closer to 40 to 50%. Our red zone defense is fifth holding teams to 35.7. So we do have a pretty good red zone, red zone defense. It was such a huge problem last year. We've really cleaned it up, but we're still, you know, Montana's even third on that. So Montana being the third best red zone defense and our offense being the worst red zone offense, or geez, am I saying red zone? Third down conversion? Yeah, that's that's a bad matchup for the Bobcats. Yeah, we're just going to have to be creative on our play calling. And I think that comes back to it just right there. Sometimes we're just too predictable. We know what we're going to do. I listened to the, when we were listening to the game on Saturday, I mean, even the guys, when Troy Anderson or Travis Johnson comes in, the announcers for Cal Davis are like, well, we know what's going to happen now. <laughs> it's true. So we just need to have a little bit more variety on third down. Yeah, that's true. I remember you you texting me like I'm so sick of the Travis Johnson Wildcat run and then he like scores like a 75 yard touchdown. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> he was I know I up in the backfield, man. He made that all by himself. That was not like I mean, he got I don't want to say he got lucky, but because he didn't get lucky, he just out you know, he was just a better athlete than everybody on the field at that point, but I mean, it was a broken play, really. I kind of like what Jeff Choke said in the press conference today. He's like you just keep running and running. Eventually, those creases will be there, like just the nature of the game. That's kind of what happened. Like, all right, yeah, Travis Johnson's going to hit the wall, a brick wall three times. The fourth time, he's going to score a 60 yard touchdown. So it's just kind of a, you just keep going at it. And eventually, the, uh, you'll find a lane. And Johnson has the ability to take it to the house. Yeah. Well, most, of the, you- most of the running backs, like all of our running backs, have the speed to go the distance. But like, I'm going to play a little devil's advocate. Like, you were the person who texted me on a third and four or third and six when Troy Anderson was in there that led to uh, a fourth down where we kicked a Tristan Bailey field goal. Like, I hate that play when Troy Anderson has the ball. I mean, it's the same thing. We all know what's coming. So does the defense. So why do you run that play? When it, I have, when you're in I the have no recollection zone. of this. <laughs> when you're in the red zone and you line up Troy Anderson behind there and you got four to six yards to go and he's obviously not healthy. It's just, it's not a good play at that point. Uh, that's just going to be part of our offense. And whether you agree with them or not, Jeff Choate thinks they are who they are. So they're going to continue to see those kinds of things. I wonder if we're going to see more of that. Uh, more Wildcat quarterback or less Wildcat quarterback against the Grizz? I, I bet you the Grizz are hoping to see more of it. If I, if I was a defensive coordinator, I'd hope 
to see more of it because I know it's coming. Like 90% of the time, Troy Anderson, Travis Johnson, maybe even more than 90% of the time are holding on to the ball. You send a guy just, he, like, like, like you said, Robbie Halk, you called him a missile. Well, he's going to be a heat-seeking missile to that guy. That's pretty easy right there. Yeah, but you see how dangerous the Bobcat game can be when the Wildcat quarterbacks do give it up. When Troy Anderson gives it up, it's like you can't stop him. Mm-hmm. No, it's a good point. So if, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen this game. If there's going to be more pitches, of course, Troy Anderson might not be able to even lift his arm. He got dinged up pretty hard against the Aggies. He would have had an interception if he could lift his shoulder up to his face. So a little concerned about that. So if we do run Troy Anderson and he is hobbled like that, then yeah. Yeah, I guess he does. He does do the zone read because uh, I remember the, the last game we were in Colorado where he, uh, I think it was Patterson came across and it was a zone read option and Troy pretty much ripped Willie Anderson down to the ground or Willie Patterson because he thought he was going to get it. He pulled it so hard that he spun him around. So yes, he does do the handoffs as well. I thought he mostly did pitches, but he does hand it off. The other formation I've seen that the Bobcats are pretty good out of uh, just running the ball is that weird eye formation looking pistol thing where there's like three running backs right behind Troy Anderson. That one's pretty hard to stop. We're going to need some wrinkles like that against the, uh, against the Grizz. But we can't be too gimmicky either. I'm really interested to see what uh, Matt Miller has dialed up for this game. You're not a fan of the can't hold anything back Dan Fouts style play in here? <laughs> nope. There are things, uh, we're kind of just going through some uh, not obvious stats that we kind of are looking at. I guess is kind of the, the segment we're in right now. The Grizz red zone offense is only ninth in the conference. They're only scoring on 79.2% of their trips. Most of those are touchdowns, so I'll give them credit for having a pretty high touchdown rate, but they're, you know, they're only converting on 79%, whereas the Bobcat defense is number four red zone defense. They only allow 78.8% of the time. I mean, you're talking a matter of percentage here, but these, you know, when it comes to points, it's a uh, 1% is, you know, six, seven points a game. So it's a, it's a big difference. Whereas the Cats red zone offense is second. We score 89.1% of the time. And the Grizz red zone defense is seventh at 81% of the time allowed. So there are some matchups there because as we found out last week, you know, both these teams, especially I think the Grizz are going to move the ball between the 20s, but can they score points? The Aggies couldn't. They moved the ball pretty well in the, in the first half, but they couldn't punch it in when it mattered. And that's going to be crucial, just crucial for the Bobcats to hold them if, if they get in the red zone from scoring. Because I think that's going to be a big part of the game plan. Uh, they're not going to play like Weber. Weber plays a lot more man-to-man stuff. We're going to keep a lot of stuff in front of us. I don't expect the Grizz to have those huge plays like that, like the slants where Samari Torre takes 70-yard slant pass for a touchdown. Um, it might happen, but I expect us to defend it a little bit differently. But they will be, you know, they'll play plenty of options for, I think, Snead to complete passes. I just hope that we can stiffen up when it comes into the red zone. I think we just need to keep Snead uncomfortable. Well, he's just another quarterback who can move with his legs and get the ball out quickly. So, oh, and he's a fifth-year senior, so. <laughs> just another one of those. All right, so those are, we talked a little bit about some stats, and we've hit on all this stuff here. Uh, we've hit on a lot of the stuff that I want to say right here, but let's, I kind of want to break it down real quick. This will be pretty quick at this point. How is the Grizz offense going to attack the Bobcat defense? Oh, I think they're going to have to do it through the air. And then that's going to set up the run. Um, we've been 
susceptible to um, the RPO, specific, specifically the slants across the middle. And I think they're probably going to try to get uh, Samara Tori on, on the outside isolated, some deep shots. So I, I imagine in Bobby Halk fashion, I'm probably, they're probably going to try to go big early on, right? Can't you imagine that they're going to get the their first possession and they're going to try to hit a deep shot, send a message? Uh, I think we'll probably try to do the same thing. Uh, but yeah, I think they're probably going to play the RPO game on us and try to hit us over across the middle. It seems like the last three cat Grizz games, the the Grizz have came out just like struck right away. I remember our keys to victory last year. I was like, don't like whoever strikes first is going to win, and the Grizz struck first pretty easily. the The Grizz scored a big, big, huge play the first game of like the 2016, or, or I guess it would have been the 2016 game. Like it's it's something that Jeff Choate teams can weather. That goes back to just being the level headed thing. Like, yeah, okay, if the Grizz do come out and strike. That's not going to be the end of the world. I'd be more concerned if the Grizz came out and had like a seven minute drive running the ball with Marcus Knight, like a 12 play, seven minute drive and end up with a touchdown. That'd be much more concerning than them coming out and scoring like an 80 yard touchdown pass. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. That's not their MO, is to run the ball like that. Yeah. You never know in a rivalry game. They might kind of switch up the strategy because we have like uh, Gilliam did shred us a little bit there in the first half. So. There are some running lanes against the Bobcats. I'm, I'm curious to see how the Grizz do attack Bobcat defense right now. That's a good point. All right. Other side of the ball, how do you think the Cats attack the Grizzly defense? This is kind of the, the bigger chess match, in my opinion. How are we going to possibly score points against a seemingly pretty tall task? Well, I think we have to attack their pass defense. I mean, they're the last in the conference. We have to get the ball out fast, though. And that's the thing Tukarovic has struggled maybe just a little bit with is holding on to the ball. So our offensive line is going to have to have one heck of a game. And I think we're going to need to get the passing game going early on. It's a good time, I think, to put a golden koozie question in here. This is kind of a bigger picture question, but it's really pertinent to what we're talking about right now. Bobcat fan one, two, three on the Bobcat Nation said, can Rovic be proficient against defense that's susceptible to passing attack, or when the game is on the line, do we just put in the athletes, you know, Troy Anderson, Travis Johnson, and just go with that? What do you think here? I think it's both. I don't think to, I don't think you can have. I don't think you separate the two. I think uh, Kevin Cassis is going to have a big game, so he's going to be probably lined up against Justin Calhoun. Justin Calhoun was picked on even by Jake Constantine last week from Weber. Kevin Cassis had. A heck of a game. I don't remember even the name of the corner, but Cal Davis's corner was one of the top corners in the league. Well, Kevin Cassis just had his best game as a Bobcat statistically. He had like 130 some yards of offense. Well, we're going to need him to break some big plays. And so I think, yeah, Tuck, Tucker Rovick is going to have some shots with Kevin Cassis. And I think that's going to really open up some plays, you know, and then, and then you're going to have to use the quarterback by committee. You know, you're going to have to bring Travis Johnson and you're going to have to bring Troy Anderson in. So, yeah, I think there's I think there's a blend there. So are you answering yes? Can Rovick be proficient against a defense susceptible to the pass? Yeah, I think he can. And you think the game is on the line. We're going to roll out Rovig or Travis Johnson. Travis Johnson. I mean, whew, you know, if the game is on the line. So let's let's say it's fourth quarter. Cal Poly score. overtime. Yeah, we need a score. Let's say we're down three or four, just trying to tie it up or something like that. 
who are we going to go with? I'm stalling here because I really don't know. <laughs> um, well, let me, let me, uh, you think about that. I'll kind of talk a little bit. I think Roman can be proficient against the defense susceptible to the pass, but it's all going to depend on how good of a rush they can put on him. The Grizz have a really good rush defense or a, a pass, pass rush defense. There we go. They get to the quarterback. I think they're second in the league with like 29 sacks or something, which is 13 sacks or something behind the conference leader, Sac State, who was just on a tear. The Bobcats are the best at protecting Rovic, but he has gone under heat. He got sacked twice at Davis. So I think he can, provided he has protection. That's the caveat for me there. And I'm not sure if we'll be able to keep Rovig off his back or not. When it comes to the game on the line, honestly, I think it depends on the situation. If we have 80 yards to go, it's Rovig. If it's something like the overtime game where we only need maybe to get 30 yards to get in a field goal range or something, uh, I might be thinking that the coaches, I'm not saying this is how I would go, but the coaches are probably going to lean on the Wildcat quarterback game right then. I think you're probably right, Ryan. One thing that really gives me a little bit of pause is like, can we avoid the big sack? And like you said, like the Grizz are really good at sacking the quarterback. Like if we get behind and let's say we start out like a, you know, we get a sack and we're now 14 yards to the first down. That's not a good thing for the cats in this game. So I don't know if we can overcome that. I do want to see a Rovig be more decisive in terms of bailing on the play, like throwing the ball, just, 50 yards out of bounds over the head of a receiver. I want to see him not take the sack. So that's something I would like to see some improvement on. I think we're going to need that kind of headsy giving up on the play that uh, he just seems to take some sacks where he should have gotten rid of the ball, in my opinion. There's a couple plays in the Cal Davis game where uh, he hit uh, Jacob Hadley and uh, who else is our tight end? Um, Ryan Davis? Snell. or Yeah, Snell. No. And just on a couple out, you know, in and out, and it was just like it was just like a five yard completion, and it was easy. I was just like, wow, we just need that. Like, if we could go back to that and just keep doing that, like first, second down, just get five yards. Uh, that's that's just something to think about, right there. It's such a big play for the Bobcats. Just a little four yard tight end pass on a first down, huge. Second and four, second and six, manageable. Yeah, and then you run Sumner for, you know, three yards, and then you got like a third and two. And third and two, we can get. Maybe not all the time, definitely not all the time, but that's way better than a third and seven for us. <laughs> we just need to, at that point, we just may, we need to make Tucker have some, some easy outs, some easy options for, you know, five, ten-yard completions. We don't need him to go deep all the time. We just need to get him, you know, in a rhythm. And I think that's, a, that's an important part to this game. One other thing that I would, uh, good question, Bobcat fan, one, two, three. We've gone completely off the rails on that question, but thank you for the question. One more thing I want to talk about with Rovig. He seems to have some issues this year with the ball being batted, which is, you wouldn't expect that for a guy who's like 6'5", bordering 6'6". So the interception leader for the Grizz is their defensive lineman, like Alex uh, Gubert. I hope I say his, his name right, but he's got four interceptions, so. We can't have be, the Grizz clearly are good at tipping balls. Rovig seems to be struggling a little bit, not like a huge problem, but he's had batted balls like seemingly every game, multiple batted balls. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on. I think it's just because of his eyes. He's just staring down at his receivers. Doesn't see the 6'5, 300 pound lineman standing right there throwing into his stomach on a screen pass. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> well, 
Uh, the other thing, the last thing I want to say about the cat offense, tech and the Grizz defense, obviously we have to have some success passing the ball, but we're going to make our money running the ball. I think, uh, going to have to keep at it. I don't know if the Grizz are going to wear down like the other teams do. They have a lot more depth than your average team does along the defensive line and front seven. So I don't really see us straying away from just trying to wear them down and being the more physical team up front on the line. This game is going to be physical. Always is. It has been. In the last three years, the Cats have been the more physical team, but it's pretty clear that uh, Bobby Houck has put a huge emphasis on being a more physical team this year, and it's really paying dividends for them because uh, they completely beat the snot out of Weber State physically. Uh, you know what? Which I is think, concerning to me. Yeah, I mean, they did. They did. I'll give the Grizz credit, but I think the Weber State kind of pissed down their leg a little bit too, honestly. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, if you if you look at a lot of things, the game started off as bad as you could ever start a football game pretty much for Weber State. They, like, had three bad snaps that all led to turnovers. Like, when the first quarter, it just got out of hand real fast, and Weber's not a team built for that. Well, the Bobcats aren't a team built for that either, but they weathered that. They've, you want to talk about battle-tested? I've heard a lot of talk about how the Grizz are battle-tested because they've had a stronger schedule. The Bobcats have come back from games by running the ball. So that, that's pretty battle-tested, too. Like, being down 21-0 to zero against Northern Arizona, 28-7, to seven, and then just running the ball 30-sometimes in the second half and coming back and storming back, that's battle-tested, too. Like, just because just because your strength of schedule may not be the same, you've, you've had plenty of adversity, and I think the Bobcats can weather any kind of storm like that. So I think that's a big key as well. Yeah, I don't see the Bobcats coming out, like, in a fury in this game. No, conversely, never do. I, yeah, conversely, I could see the Grizz doing just that. And then the cats coming back in the second half. I think I read a stat that the Grizz are actually not a good first quarter team. They haven't scored. They've only scored a handful of touchdowns in the first quarter all year. Yeah. That's going to be a huge key. My, it's just uh, the halftime score. The Grizz have just been steamrolling opponents in the second half. The Bobcats have kind of shied away from steamrolling opponents in the second half and have let some teams back in the second half, but we kind of got back to that against Davis. So, But I think if the Cats are even or winning at halftime, we have a good outlook. If we're down 7 or 14 at halftime, that's really not a spot we want to be against the Grizzlies. I don't know if I really agree with that. I think if we're down 7 or 14 at halftime, we have some second-half surge. I mean, we're at home. This is the Cat Grizz. It's, everything's, I don't know. Like you, you could take every trend that we just talked about and throw it out the window, honestly. I mean, this literally is Cat Grizz. Anything can happen. Well, I agree with that 100%. All this talk is ultimately meaningless in this game because the complete opposite of what you think will happen will happen. Like, All right, well, you said it. What are your just kind of your quick one or two sentence keys to victory? We can't panic. And I don't think the Bobcats do panic. And that's something uh, Jeff Choate has instilled the, the saying into his teammates or into his players, don't flinch. I think that's a huge thing here because I think the Grizzlies probably will come out hot. And I think Tucker Rovig needs to have a decent game for us to win. And I think he provides the, the X factor that we missed last year. I mean, we won last year, but it took for us to pass in the second half to hit a couple deep balls in order to open up that game. Travis Johnson and Troy Anderson single-handedly offensively won that game for us. 
we're not going to have that this year. So we're going to have to have a holist, more of a holistic offensive approach. So those are my two keys. We're going to have to weather the storm, don't flinch, and we're going to have to be consistent on offense. And I think that's going to start with Tucker Rovick. Those are good keys. I like those, and I agree with those 100%. I have three myself um, in no particular order. I got the red zone defense. As I talked about, the Grizzlies will get their yards between the 20s, I feel. Davis got their yards, couldn't punch it in. So I think just keeping the Grizzlies out of the end zone, holding to a field goal, field goal tries will be a huge piece of this game. Number two, don't get beat on special teams. Don't let Jerry Lou McGee have a game-changing, game-breaking, huge return in a game that's a close game and just blows the lid off and gets momentum really on the Grizz side. Same with, uh, I think it's Malik Flowers, their, their kick return man who's also pretty prolific. Um, I'm probably an idiot because he's probably hurt or something. I didn't do any research on this, but <laughs> uh, just, yeah, just don't get beat on special teams. Don't let the Grizz change the momentum with the special teams play. And then the last thing is win the physicality bit. Be the more physical team. Like if the Bobcats, if any MO we have, we're a team that gets into bar fights, you know, we can't let a team come into Bozeman and beat us at that because if they beat us at that, then the rest, none of the rest matters at all. If they come in here and just punch us, in the face and push us around, we're going to lose. So those are my three. Yeah, I think you're spot on there, Ryan. All right, well, let's talk briefly. Uh, playoff scenario, moving on from the Grizz game. Uh, Alec Nice on Twitter asked us, in a perfect world, the Bobcats win, of course. But now four Big Sky teams are worthy of a top eight seed. Do they all get in? And if not, who should drop out? Foley, what do you think on that? I think the big sky is going to have four in regardless. We're that talking would be... seed specifically. So you think oh, have four seeds? seeds? Yeah. Uh, no, 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 no. I think we'll have three seeds. I think U of M is going to be seeded regardless if they win or not. I think either Sac State or Weber will be seeded. Uh, and if we beat the Grizzlies, I think we have a chance of getting seeded. So I think the uh, big sky is going to have three seeds. But I agree with Alec here. Like, who's not getting seated? You can't drop well, weird. They have they have one FCS loss. So it depends on what happens this week. So you think Weaver's losing to Idaho State? <laughs> no, I don't think Weaver's going to lose to Idaho State. So then the only scenario left for you is Sac State losing to Davis. Yeah, that, and that could be a possibility. That's the most likely of the of outside of the Cat Grizz game. Yeah, the Causeway Classic right there. I personally think if the Bobcats win, uh, all four teams get a seed. I don't really see how Sac State drops. I don't see how Weber State drops. I really don't see how the Grizz drop all the way out on a losing the number eight team on the road. I guess it kind of depends. If the Grizz lose in a close one, they get seeded. If the Grizz get blown out, uh, they probably might lose their seed. So uh, it's quite possible all four teams get a seed. I don't really, I don't see who you can drop out. They're all ranked in the top eight. Well, that's a good point. That's a really good point. It just seems unlikely that four Big Sky teams would have a, a seed, a top eight seed in the playoff. But you know what? You're right. I mean, all those teams right now currently are in the top eight. That's, that's a good, really good point. It's hard to think of like a scenario where they're not, if the Bobcats win in this scenario, I don't, and the other two should win. Like it's hard to think of a scenario where they're not all seeded. I just, I, it's crazy to think about, but I don't see how you drop. Weber can't drop. Sac State I can't drop. So like ugh, it's weird. So if Sac State if Sac State loses again to uh K 
Cal Davis this week, they're, they're not going to be seated. They'll be no, in the playoffs, sure. but they're not going to be in seated. All these teams are playoff bound, regardless. Yes. Okay. All right. That's a good question, Alec. Thanks for the question. Uh, the, his other question is if we, you and I have ever thought about doing a Bobcat basketball podcast, maybe just once in a month review. Uh, we have thought about it. Uh, neither of us can just really watch the Bobcat games. We're just too busy. So I just, I just don't see how we could ever do it. I'd love to do it, but I also don't know very much about basketball and just can't watch half the game. So would it be pretty worthless podcast? Thorny, I'm going to sing a little different tune on you, man. I'm not going to say no on that. If the Bobcats Ooh. right now are just super exciting, <laughs> we are like four and one right now. We just won the, I, what was it called? The, what invitational where we just had over in Greensboro? Spartan? Yeah, it was yeah, I think it was that. I mean the cats. I mean, we, we haven't talked Bobcat basketball. We could spend about ten minutes talking Bobcat basketball right now. We're not going to, but yeah, the cats are a different team with Danny Sprinkle right now. And we have some momentum. I mean, there's a lot of good things. So once a month, I'll I'll put it on right right now. It's on the air. I'm game. Well, what always happens is the season wraps up. We are kind of a little relieved in a way because, all right, that's it's it's a lot of work. We put a lot of work in this podcast, but then like a couple of weeks pass and you kind of get the itch. You just want to start recording again. So you never know, I guess. You never know, but certainly, definitely probably not while basketball or football season's still going. <laughs> so we won't rule it out there, Alec. We won't rule it out, but uh, certainly don't know. If we know nothing about football, I know even less about basketball, <laughs> even though I played basketball for like eight years. All right, Thorny. Do you want to get into introducing our special segment? Yeah. So first and foremost, uh, the Travis Lule interview we released. Gosh, how long ago was that? I don't even know. But we have the full interview available. I'll probably retweet it at some point this week. I'll be retweeting retweeting some other it's just fun content for everyone to digest here this week because it's Cat Grizz week. Everyone's no one's getting any work done. Everyone wants to be listening to this consuming Bobcat content. But he had a good little bit about what Cat Grizz meant to him. So I thought it would be fun just to snip that little bit and put it in here. And I had the opportunity to sit down, sit down. I guess I did sit down, but interview Corey Nickel, uh, who was a former Bobcat defensive back from 2008 to 2009. I interviewed him on last Wednesday. So he had some nice things to say about the cat because rivalry and how big it is and how much it meant to him. So what we'll do is I will, will play the Travis Lule snippet here, and then we'll just probably launch straight into the Corey Nickel one. So um, I will be releasing the Corey Nickel interview in its entirety, probably on Thursday or Friday. Just another piece of content for you guys to enjoy. So let's get into those right now. Enjoy. So do you have a do you have a favorite memory of of your playing time there in Bozeman? Oh man, yeah, I mean, yeah, just uh there's a few that obviously stick out. I think it was really um really cool to see like you know, when I got there and you know too, right? I didn't really re- I honestly like I didn't know I didn't know the streak against the University of Montana was a thing, right? Like I didn't I didn't had no idea. <laughs> I remember sitting in the ac- academic center and I knew Montana was, you know, had come off a national championship the year before. And so I knew, you know, whatever they had their thing going on. They felt pretty good about what they were doing in Missoula. 
And I, I was sitting there with Brett Berkland, who was in my recruiting class. Brett was from Helena, Montana. And Brett said, oh, yeah, my buddy over in Missoula, he's talking about the streak. And I was like, what's, what, what streak? Uh, you know, he's like, well, we haven't, we haven't won Cat Grizz in 16 years. I said, what? <laughs> we, like, we haven't won in that long? Uh, I was like, that was a pretty good recruiting pitch on the part of Montana State to not let me know that, that, that they hadn't won in a long time. So, yeah, so I think as that year went on, I, you know, started to, um, you know, and again, I was a true freshman and I hardly, you know, I, it was like, this was all happened fast and furious. We started winning games and all of a sudden, you know, you look at the schedule. It's like, boy, if we win our last two games here, we can make the playoffs. So we win the Grizz lose boom. All of a sudden the cat Grizz showdown, you know, that week in Missoula, um, in Oh two and we're on the road and they hadn't won it. They hadn't lost at home and who knows how long. Right. Um, yeah. so, <laughs> you know, and, uh, so winning that game, 10-7 in Missoula in the snowy blizzard and and seeing the reaction from Bobcat Nation at the time I was like wow that was that was pretty cool and it got even more special in hindsight because I think it was just it was symbolic as much as anything and that fact that it was like okay the program is finally getting over the hump we you know we got in the playoffs we we beat the we beat the Grizz again you know that moment was special obviously there was a couple of wins along the way I mean I think of my sophomore year against Northern Arizona, we had like just the uh, almost mathematically impossible amount of time to win a game. We scored two touchdowns in the last minute and 10 seconds or something <laughs> crazy. We had an onside kick and now you guys yeah. remember that game. Sure do. Bunch of people filing out. Were you guys filing out of the, the stadium that day or did you hang tight? Were you there? No. So the, the onside kick was recovered right in front of me. Uh, I was standing there and uh, gosh, I can't remember who, who, covered it was it um i want to say it was scott turnquist but i might be wrong there but uh yeah it was Corey smith Corey smith fell on the oh, there, yeah there it was yeah that was an yeah. amazing game that was an amazing game yeah so that you know that win there was a kind of a miracle win my freshman year in sacramento where there was a face mask on the last play and nate cook ended up kicking a field goal and we won and you know so we had the, the little the cardiac cats tag that was the old tag from the <laughs> sure. 84 team right and so yeah uh, yeah and then obviously just you beat, you beat montana those three times you know and and you know that last game and unfortunately the playoffs uh you know was 16 team field at the time it felt like my senior year we had a pretty good football team, right? We finished seven and four with the win at home and, and we didn't get to go on to the playoffs, but you know, that last game in Bozeman just it was kind of like reflective. I remember playing in, in front of a game. I think the Portland state game, um, when I was a freshman, you know, like playoffs are still in the hunt. It's a November game. And there was 7,500 people at Bobcat stadium to my last game as a senior, the stadium was more than maxed out, right? People are sitting on the grass on the sides and, to see like double the crowd then 15,000 at the time was, you know, jam packed. And uh, yeah. so it was, it was kind of cool to see that by the end of, uh, of that, you know, run. And now obviously, you know, the stadium's been renovated. Those guys have lights on the field, turf field and all that stuff. So those guys are spoiled rotten now. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no, it was, it was pretty dang fun. Um, a, a question. Uh, you mentioned the 2002, you know, Cat Grizz game snapping the streak and all that. Where does that just rank in your, all-time football moments, maybe at any level of football. Yeah, I mean, it's honestly, it's right there in the top handful of moments. Um, as I said, it kind of got more special in hindsight too, right? Uh, but, you know, obviously as a as a pro, I was a member of a championship team up, up here and we won uh, a, a Grey Cup championship on our home turf. 
in BC in a brand new renovated BC Place Stadium, and we had so much momentum at the end of the year that winning that that uh, championship up here was a really really cool special moment. And beyond that, I mean, it might be the next best moment, right? I mean, obviously, I had some cool moments as I kind of grew into my own as a pro, or or significant games or throws that I could remember where I felt like I was either making a team or you know establishing myself as a starting quarterback professionally, but but yeah, going all the way back to the, um, you know, my entire career, uh, winning that game in Missoula as a freshman was was really special. <laughs> and I just, you know, I distinctly remember like seeing, I, I, I have no idea who it was. It could have been one of your uncles for all I know, right? Like, oh, there's <laughs> grown men crying on the field. And I was like, wow, this, this was like, okay, I get it. I get the whole Cat Grizz thing. I understand the rivalry and yeah, that was pretty dang special to, to to find that win at the time. So, uh, yeah, so right up there. And you know, I still talk about that play. Uh, you know, throwing throwing the pass uh, to Junior Adams in the first drive of the third quarter. We were in an empty set, and they blitzed, and you know, it's cover zero. And so I bailed and bought a little time and flipped one up to June, and he caught it one handed. And uh, yeah, it was just uh, it was awesome. Joey Thomas had uh, the field goal block, and we went to yeah. game ten seven. You know, so it was just. It was an awesome game. RJ was a B-side day. Ryan Johnson was a stud. Our defense was was special. I felt like Kane Ion was everywhere that day, and Roger Cooper, and all those guys. It was just uh, just an awesome, awesome game, awesome moment uh, to be a part of. All right, that was our little segment on the the Catgirls rivalry and what I meant to Travis Lule. And now we're going to play some audio from our, my Corey Nickel interview. Enjoy. What was your favorite memory of your playing time in MSU? Oh man, we, uh, yeah, there's a lot of good memories there. You know, we had some big wins. Um, yeah, Weber state, um, like my senior year, you know, they were ranked highly. Um, they were probably a top 10 team and we went down to Weber state um, and knocked them off. Um, that was, that was a really good win for us. Um, um, you know, although we didn't win the game, uh, Cat Grizz, you know, it was always a lot of fun. Um, you never, you know, realize the, the energy and the emotion that's in that game until you play in the game, uh, especially for you know, all of us that were not from the state of Montana. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was kind of really eye-opening when you get there and you just see that this game, this game means everything to the whole state, you know, and so once you are a part of that game you can just feel it the emotion just how much it means and all that stuff so that was uh that was really probably the most i mean most fun and most like excitement you know i've ever had playing the game where it was just yeah it was just alive so we're recording this the weekend before the uc davis game but when i plan to release this it'll be cat grizz week what kind of, I guess, to build off the what you just said right there, how would you compare Cat Grizz to a rivalry, I guess you're pretty familiar with, like the Apple Cup? You know, it's funny um, that you asked that. Um, so I I was most recently on staff with, with Cal, the football program there, and there's a guy named Gerald Alexander, uh, who a lot of Montana State fans are probably pretty familiar with. He was a DB coach there a few years ago. Great coach, great dude. Um but he he uh, he really enjoyed his time in Bozeman. He absolutely loved it, and um, so we we always got to talking about Montana State and stuff like that. And, and we both said we're like, hey, the uh, the Cat Grizz rivalry and that game itself is the the Apple Cup doesn't even come close to the 
the level of, you know, just intensity and emotions and really what it means. Uh, and, and, and we both agree with that. So it's kind of one of those things. And, and a lot of people who, who've never been to a Cat Grizz game or never played it or anything like that, they'll just say, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, it's a rivalry game. But until you go and like step on that field and just feel like the emotion, like it's, it's, uh, it's pretty unique. And I would put it up there. And obviously, you got your your Iron Bulls, you got your you know Ohio State, Michigan, you got your you know all those you know big rivalry games. But uh, Cat Grizz, I mean, it's is it, if it's not top ten, it's top fifteen. What was the just the week leading up to the game like? Just kind of the the prep week for Cat Grizz. Yeah, I think each year it was. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a, it's different. You know, there's a different feel, and obviously, every game you want to win every game, but you know, it's always. Uh, was always the last game on the schedule and, and it's just different, you know, and we have two good teams as Montana, Montana state, there's always playoff implications and, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, it was just, um, it was different how we prepared, you know, I think everybody, you know, stayed a little bit longer, everybody, you know, worked a little bit harder. I mean, just because you knew how much it meant, you know, and then we would have, you know, speak like a speaker. I remember like speakers would come in. It was like Sonny Holland would come in and speak or, some other guys who were uh, kind of, you know, could speak a lot to that rivalry and what it meant to the state of Montana, what it meant to Bozeman, what it meant to Missoula and all that stuff. And so, yeah, just kind of uh, teaching you the history, you know, of the rivalry and stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, it was, uh, it de- everything definitely gets just cranked up a, a few levels. You know, that's kind of how we feel in Montana. It's hard to describe really how, Cat Grizz just impacts the state and how important it is. It just kind of transcends the game. It's just a, it's just hard to explain. And I'm I'm glad to hear that some people who who weren't familiar with it come and play here. Like they kind of just they get it. Like you don't get it until you play in it, and then you do get it, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, going into it my first year, um, I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah, Cat Grizz, okay, this is another game. I I get a rivalry game and all that stuff. And then I remember, um, so we're in missoula in 2008 and uh, so we're warming up and all that stuff and the stadium's already buzzing you know during warm-ups you know stadium's buzzing and it's hopping and you can just feel like a different energy and then i happen to be a captain for that game um and so i think there was like three or four of us like walking out for the the coin toss and all that stuff and we're as we're walking out like through the tunnel i mean we're getting beers, beverages, whatever, like poured on us and getting cussed at, getting cursed at. And you can just kind of feel just like, hey, this is something different, you know. And then you go on and, uh, you know, you line up for the kickoff. And I was on the kickoff team and just the electricity. I remember just running down the field, just feeling it. And obviously you got, you know, Montana State's got a great facility. Montana's got a great facility. And it's just packed to the brim. And uh, I've been running down on kickoff. And I actually ran down and, and maybe a, the opening tackle on that kickoff and it was just like yeah this is a, you could tell it was just something different you know and you know at the end of every single play you know guys are like pushing you know going through the whistle a little bit longer pushing a little harder uh, a little bit more hand fighting and all that stuff like uh and that goes on all game like and it's uh it's just something something serious and it's really it's really fun to be a part of All right, we want to thank Corey Nickel for coming on. That was a great interview. And if you want to look for the long form of it, uh, Thorny's going to be tweeting it out later on and probably we'll put it in our show notes uh, in the podcast. Yeah, that was fun. It was fun to hear him kind of say that 
how big the rivalry is. Like, it's just fun to see. It's good to know that like guys that come from out of state who don't really know much about the rivalry, then once they get into it, they realize this is a huge deal. Like this is just a rivalry separate from anything else they've seen. It's it's just fun to hear. It's just fun to hear. It's kind of a affirmation of what we as Montanans know. All right, Thorny, let's move into our closing segments, our buy or sell, our bold predictions, and some golden koozie questions. Sounds good. All right. Thorny, are you ready for some buy or sell? Let's do it. Only got three of them today. So the hot seat's not going to feel too hot for you. All right. All right. All right. Thorny, buy or sell. I enjoy Cat Grizz Week. I enjoy Cat Grizz Week. It's, it's, uh, I've gone back and forth on this, but kind of doing the podcast kind of evens me out on this and it's just kind of fun. So yeah, I enjoy it. Buy it. Okay. Number two, buy or sell. The cats can win big in the cat grace. I will buy that. I think that they absolutely can get some game breaking turnovers and things and kind of get away with it. Uh, I guess it kind of depends on their definition, but I think the cats can win by probably 14. All right. Last one, Thorny. Buy or sell Bobby Houck. That is such a you. Uh, that's such an open-ended question. I will buy him as a coach, but I'll sell him as a personality. <laughs> I I listened to both press conferences today. Bobby Houck is so just not fun to listen to. I have a I have a quote I want to read from you real quick about from Bo, from Bobby Houck's press conference. Let's see where is it. I gotta find it. Yeah, Bobby Houck's press uh, on the press conference today said the animosity and the bitterness around the rivalry is out of hand to the point where he doesn't think it's healthy, and he certainly doesn't think it's any fun. Bobby, you helped create a whole bunch of that animosity and bitterness, and you exuded it yourself. So I will sell him as a personality, but he's a, I think he's a pretty good fit for Montana. Clearly didn't work out anywhere else that he went in terms of head coaching experience, but I think he's a good fit, so I'll buy him as a coach. I'll split it. <laughs> that's weak thorny if you're just like if i had to put you to the to the brass right now buy or sell bobby halk what are you doing selling it i hate vague questions man but yeah i'll sell it i guess okay <laughs> it's not a vague question you know exactly what i mean all right i don't <laughs> <laughs> all right all right thorny you're off the hot seat buddy buy or sell fully i enjoy the cat grizz week I'm going to have to sell that. It's been, I used to enjoy it when I didn't care as much. And yeah, the podcast has made it more fun. And honestly, the the secure of the playoff berth has has eased the tension off my shoulders. But in large, I, I think too much about it. I care too much about it. It gives me too much, too much anxiety. I mean, even last night, it was Monday morning. It was already five o'clock in the morning or something. It was just, so I, I'm not supposed to be up at this point yet, and I'm already thinking about the game. It's just like it's too consuming in my life. Uh, so in in general, I do not enjoy Cat Grizz Week. Number two, the Cats can win big in the Cat Grizz. I've never seen it happen in my lifetime, but I do believe we can. So I'm going to buy that. Uh, I'm still. I always believe we can. So yeah, I, I think the Cats can win big. Uh, we can get the momentum. We could just bury them. I love that. Yeah, asterisk here. I didn't say that we will, just that we could. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, exactly. I believe that. No prediction. 
Number three, Bobby Halk, buy or sell. I'm going to sell Bobby Halk. And I agree, Thorny. I think you're right. He is a good fit for Montana. He is a good motivator. But I'm selling him. I just don't, I don't like how he comes across. I just think as a leader for your university, he just, sometimes he just comes across as petulant. And you and I do a really good job, I think, on this podcast of not putting people down. And we're pretty even kill. We don't, we're not grizz bashers. You know, we don't, we don't slam anybody. And I appreciate that about this podcast. But it's just, you know, his history in the rivalry. When you listen to his interviews, I mean, his, he's just very dry and sometimes can be somewhat bullish to medium members. I'm, I'm going to sell Bobby Hell. And I know uh, he's done a lot of good for the University of Montana. I think he is a, a great motivator. Not all the facets of his leadership do I envy. Well, it's funny that you say that. Like, yeah, you, he comes across as you think he's like petulant and all that. It's just it's so funny to hear him have that comment on the press conference. Because if you if you if you like read the Ty Gregorek article about how taught us to hate our opponents, like that bleeds out of him. Like it's obvious that he at least his first stint. I think he's kind of cooled down a little bit. His first stint, he hated the Bobcats. He made it very clear all the time. He like just fueled the entire fire, and it's just funny to have him come out and say like. It's gone too far when he's clearly the one who had to sit there and just stoked the flames back in like the 2000s. <laughs> he he is the chief reason I don't like the Grizz. And I'm just being straight up honest that. If, if I have to just put my finger on it, like Bobby Houck is the chief reason I don't like the Grizz. Like when Stitt was the um, coach, when um, Delaney and Flugrad, they didn't bother me as much. Did you, uh, did you listen to his press conference? No. I mean, honestly, no, I didn't. You'll enjoy this. Somebody asked him about how hard it is to defend the plus one game, or the plus one quarterback run game. He said, well, if you were to ask me in 1995, the first time I saw some of this stuff, I would have said it's harder. That was his quote. <laughs> what, what do you think about that? <laughs> it's, just, it's just, you know, it's him. Yeah, I, I like. It's classic it's, Bobby. Yeah, like I have a lot of respect for the guy. You know, it's interesting, Thorny, because at the, like, he, he he's like a character in my mind, right? And so, like, I'm standing next to him at uh, the Big Sky kickoff. And I was acutely aware of my, like, disposition to him at that point. I was like, well, he's just a dude. He's just standing there. He doesn't seem like this, you know, this evil person, like, that you kind of conjure up in your mind. He's just a, he's just a dude. But I think he's he plays the the role of the villain in my mind so well, <laughs> and that's who I've made him out to be, and it's kind of fun, you know. I mean, to have these kind of characterish uh, people in your mind, so I always I always struggle with it because I don't want to be petulant on my part. I don't want to be hyperbolic on my part. I try to be even keel, and so I always wrestle with this question. And I knew that I was going to have a hard time explaining myself when I put this down. And I think that's why it's a good buy or sell. Fair enough. All right, buddy. That's all I got. All right. Well, I have some questions I've crafted, not buy or sell. Not anything we've done. Ryan Foley, what kind of beer would Troy Anderson be if Troy Anderson was a beer? We do a lot of beer-focused things on this podcast. I'm going to ask you a few questions on what kind of beers you think this person would be. I think uh, Troy Anderson would be like an imperial stout. (laughs) 
Yep, I have like an oatmeal stout down on here, just like a real, real full bodied beer, just a real tough man's beer. <laughs> I think Troy Anderson's a high alcohol, like whiskey aged barrel imperial stout, something that's just tough and just like only for the select few. <laughs> but he's not bitter. He's not gonna make you regret drinking. You know, he's he's uh, smooth out there, pretty strong. Yeah. I agree. Stout. That's where I landed. <laughs> nice. What kind of beer is Kevin Cassis? He's got to be like a California cool lager. I have him down as a session beer. So like, yeah, like a red stripe. <laughs> I love Cassis, man. I, I'm going to miss that guy next week or next year. Next uh, week. He's, he, he is playing on a mission right now. Like you said, I loved how he played against Davis. You got to think he had a little bit of extra juice for Davis, right? I mean, when I talked to him this uh, this summer, he wanted to be recruited by Davis, and they they passed him up. He had a little bit of an axe to grind with him. That's true. I forgot about that. <laughs> Bryce Sturk. Uh, Sturk's going to be, he's got to be a porter. Just a plugger in the middle. He's, that, that sounds like a porter to me. I have him down as an IPA because he's kind of, he's a little bit bitter. <laughs> He's a little bit sassy, you know, the whole, the real number 37 thing, man, that just screams like high bitterness units to me. I liked it, man. I like it. Jeff Choate. Jeff Choate. Ooh. Is it weird that a milk stout came to my mind? I have no clue why. <laughs> if you don't have a reason why, then yes. Yes, it is weird. <laughs> if you uh, explain to me, then uh, I can be convinced it's not weird. Okay, so why don't you go first on Jeff Cho? That's a hard one for me. Jeff Cho is, man, he's a macro brew. He is any mass-produced lager in the United States. Give me your reason. Because, man, he's just a, he's just a dude. He's, a, he's just down to drink. Like, if, if you're talking about a guy who's drinking a beer, Jeff Cho walks into the cannery and he orders a Pabst. Yeah, okay. I can buy that. Yeah, he is, <laughs> he is that guy for sure. He's a bush light, you know, in a... Not even a koozie. He's, yeah, he's a macro beer. Okay, I, I I get behind that for sure. Definitely not a milk stout. I don't know why that came to my mind. What? Jeff Choate. Yeah. Yep. I got, I got nothing. incarnation of a bush light right there. <laughs> last right, one. Uh, last one. Bobby Houck. Bobby Houck. He's a sour. <laughs> he's a whiskey sour. He's not even a beer. Yeah, he's a sour. He's like a fruity sour. He's a cider. Yeah. <laughs> all right. That's all. That's all I had. Just a little. Okay. Well, you got to you gotta, you gotta let me know. What, what do you think? <laughs> well, I agree with you. Like, yeah, he's, a, he's some sort of whiskey sour or a cider. You know, he's just a, <laughs> he's just a bitter beer of some kind. A sour there beer. There it is. <laughs> to, ma- to, to match that, just sour face. All right. Um, bold prediction for last week. You said you Alonzo Gilliam was going to specifically run under 80 yards. <laughs> I didn't say the whole game. I meant the first quarter. <laughs> he had, what did he have? 130? Yeah, like 130 something. Yeah, somewhere in that range. Yeah, yeah one, uh, he was 20 for 133. 133. Yep, two touchdowns. Yep, I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> okay. So you were wrong, and I said we would score a defensive touchdown. Again, I was wrong. Every time I pick that, I'm wrong. I don't know why I keep going to it, but that's on Damian Washington for having hands like bricks. 
because if he would have caught that one in the fourth quarter, he could have just walked backwards into the end zone. Come on, Damian Washington, help me out there. New bull prediction, Thorny. We intercept Dalton Sneed. Sticking on the defensive side. Yeah. Poor man's Jordan Johnson. I'm saying Isaiah Infonze goes over 100. I think that's really bold. I think we're really limiting touches for Infonze still. Like, he only came in in the fourth quarter. No, that's not true. He actually was in the very first play of the game. But uh, Infonze was only spelling it in the fourth quarter, really. So, over 100. Do you think if he has over 100, does he have a long of 20-plus? Yeah, it's on like 10 carries, 9 carries. Okay. I like that. So yeah, if he if he gets in the game and he gets more than five carries, he busts a long one and he ends up with a hundred. But yeah, he might be pretty limited in terms of like how they use him. But yeah, anyway, so that's why it's bold. All right, man. Let's move on to our last golden koozie. What was that one? Pete Burfering, good old Pete on Twitter, asked us, "Will Bobby Houck spontaneously combust if he loses another game to the Cats?" <laughs> I don't think so. I think Bobby Houck has chilled out just slightly. With this, I you know, I actually agree with Bobby Houck on his quote. I think the Cat Grizz has gotten too, too big in a in some visceral way. Like when we were back when we were twenty in our twenties and whatnot, and you know maybe even going to school, it's you, you get it. Like the hatred's there, but I mean it's it's to a point now where the proliferation of social media and what we can say how we can say it, even just like there's a lot of unnecessary things out there. Even our, you know, adults, you know, grown men just saying things that just really not necessary. I think the Cat Grizz game is a good for the state of Montana. It's gotten to the hatred levels that I don't really feel is is good just for for us. So will he spontaneously combust? No, he's not going to spontaneously combust, obviously, but it's just it's too much, and I think he, I think Bobby Houck actually said it fairly well. It's just, you know, it's maybe got past the point of being fun. Well, you changed my answer. Uh, I agree with you. Yeah, I don't think so because I think he, he has, has mellowed out, and I think a loss he'll be pretty disappointed. But the Grizz have bigger fish to fry currently than than losing to the Cats, beating the Cats, like they're going to be on to the playoffs, like the Cats will be on the playoffs. So. Yeah, I don't think he might actually spontaneously combust. I think he would have in 2007, but not not right now. You you talk some sense into me. <laughs> I was going to say, he won't spontaneously combust. He'll like internally implode. He'll be implode instead of combust. <laughs> I think uh, if, if we could have a challenge to our listeners is just be a good human this week. You know, enjoy the rivalry for what it is. Buy a beer for a Grizzly fan when you're next to them. Extend extend the handout and enjoy what happens. We're both going to the playoffs. We don't have to root for the Grizz. I'm not, I'm not advocating for that, but you know, just be a good person this week. Yeah. Just don't treat other people bad. Just be nice. <laughs> <laughs> just Grizz fans at all. Just be, just be a nice person. I agree with that. Good, good message. Hey, Thorny, I think, uh, I think I know who I want to pick for the golden koozie. Do you have someone in mind? We do have one more Golden Koozie question that we should have talked about much earlier. Shane Driscoll. Oh, my gosh. Can't, we Shane can't ignore Shane. Shane listens all the time. If we ignore his questions, he'll just never never hear the end of it. Hold on. Before <laughs> he'll, you, he'll spontaneously before, combust. Before you, re, uh, before you read his question, I want to give a shout-out to Shane. His 
his stuff on the Bobcat Outsider every week is just yes. off the notch. And like, if you're not watching his videos on the Bobcat Outsider, do yourself a favor. Google Bobcat Outsider. He has his own YouTube channel. Um, Shane and Laura is his kind of home base for that. But man, he is just doing such good work. And man, just his editing skills, the way he puts it together, the production value um, from a fan's perspective. Shane, you're doing awesome, man. I can't wait every week to watch what you put out. Well done, dude. Thank you for saying that. There's been so many times where I'm like, ah, we should have plugged Shane. I always forget. Thank you for actually remembering to do it. Shane, you do good work. You're better than us. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Anyway, but Shane does ask, uh, what's the number one most important thing for the Bobcast to do this Saturday uh, to secure the win? Why don't you just recap out of your list? You gave us a couple things. What's most important to you? Weather the storm. It's going to be a long day, you know, and it's what we did last year. I think we got to do it again. If I had to pick one thing, we got to weather the storm. Yep, and I'm I'm similar. Like you can get all to the the stats, the red zone defense conversions percentages. Be more physical. That's it. Just be the more physical team. You'll come out to win. That's my number one thing. All right, Shane. Well, thanks for the question. As always, thanks for listening and listeners. Check him out, man. He does great work. Last golden koozie question: Techno Cat. If the Cats beat the Grizz this weekend, does this finally count as a quote signature win? quote for Choate. I feel like every time we beat a good team, they become trash and it's always, well, he hasn't beat anyone but UM, but now UM is the biggest game of the year. Rivalry aside, what do you think about that question? Oh, of course it's his signature win. <laughs> that's like the easiest that's the easiest one we've had all year. Yeah, but you you think a little bit more about it. Like last year, we talked about after we beat the Grizz last year, like that's kind of the expectation now, right? To beat the Grizz. Is it so simple as that, or is it just because they're the number three ranked team in the country? Just period. Grizz aside. I don't think you can put Grizz aside. I think it's a signature win, regardless. If the Grizz were ranked unranked, it's a signature win. No, no I'm, I'm, that's, that's, that's my opinion. I'm sticking with that. I disagree solely with that. Pretty bad, because we've beaten the Grizz three years in a row. Like The rivalry win's great, but is that the signature win that you and I always talk about? Always asking for signature win? We always we always usually dismiss the Grizz win because the Grizz haven't been that good necessarily. In this particular case, I do think it would be a signature win because the Grizz happen to be the number three team in the country. So yes, this would be the, the biggest signature win for the Choate era by a pretty substantial margin. I would say it would be the biggest signature win for Choate based solely on the fact that the number three team country because we haven't beat anyone in the top 10 in Choate's era. So it'd be signature based on that alone, let alone Cat Grizz. That adds another signature-ness to it. All right, man. Well, we're going to disagree on that one. Okay. Well, those are all the questions. Thanks for all the questions, everyone. Thanks for listening. Uh, who do you pick as your favorite question? I think we're going to have to go with Techno Cat there. All right, Techno Cat. Congratulations, man. You, you get our I get a round of applause that we clap onto the background. <laughs> Hit us up. Uh, if you don't want to talk to us on the board or Twitter, email us at rrcatcast at gmail.com. Congratulations. Thanks for the question. Nice job on the golden koozies. It's always fun seeing those pop up on social media too. That's really cool. Yeah, we had a lot this week. We had to narrow them down. Just uh, we're already running pretty long at this point. So kind of picking and choosing for some time constraints, but uh, 
that's a good time to segue into our ending here. Thanks everyone for listening. We really appreciate it. You can find us on Twitter, RRCatCast, the BobcatNation.com under the recurring Bobcat thread, which have two now. We have the Golden Koozie thread for this specific thing. And we also have the one where I kind of just post the releases and there's a little bit of discussion here and there. So find us on those outlets and let's go get that win against the Grizz. Let's make it four in a row. Go Cats. Go Cats. <laughs>